Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Last week's message, this is part two. Next week will be part three. But honouring the Lord with your possessions. From Proverbs 3. And following on from last week, we saw that the greatest possession we have is our life. And we asked the question, are we honouring God with our life? We looked at the passage in Romans in the message and where Paul says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Uh, we, we saw the process of honouring God with our life is quite a challenge. And I asked us to consider, are we really honouring God with the way we live? Uh, And we we face those three underlying conceptual lies in our world with the current cancel culture that the world is heading toward and and is going there. And listen, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of what's happening in the world. Listen, I'm not going to be run by fear. I'm going to choose to trust the love of God through it all, that no matter what comes my way, He is with me every step of the way. And, and so I'm going to walk in love, not in fear. Fear brings a snare. It's a bondage. Love gives me freedom and liberty. And so the first lie we looked at was the, 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 the lie of fragility, that you know, any controversy or disagreement, any challenge actually harms us. Uh, if you've just heard from Brenda, you know the challenge doesn't really harm who we really are. You know, we are spiritual beings in a physical body. There's nothing wrong with the body in that sense. God didn't make it an evil body. Adam and Eve had a body and it wasn't evil. Sin, though, has its habitation in the character of our heart when it's messed up. And so the, these journeys help us. And, and Paul, Peter says it in, in 1 Peter 4.12, Brethren, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials that come upon you as though something strange is happening. Hey, there are trials in life. That, that, that's, if churches don't teach the reality of Christian faith being a battle, we are not on a pleasure cruise, we are in a warship. Uh, there are going to be injuries along the way and God has our life in His hands, not ours. And so this isn't strange. The Bible is full of adversity. There are some great victories in Hebrews 11 and some great apparent losses. But Hebrews tells us they all died in faith. They will inherit the promises. And we know that the truth is that Proverbs says this, wisdom is in hearing both sides of the argument. See, sometimes it says when we hear the first person's side of the story, it sounds good until we hear the other half. We need to live a life where we are unafraid of hearing the other half. I read material I don't agree with at times. The purpose is to challenge my thinking, to challenge the concepts and the precepts and the presuppositions I have. Are they true or not? And if I need to change, then I change. And if I don't, then I have strengthened the foundation of what I believe. If we're unwilling to hear the other side of a discussion, we will never learn the truth and we'll be swayed by our opinion developed from only one side of a discussion. That's foolishness. I years ago had a motorbike accident in Townsville. It wasn't bad. It was, it was bad enough to bend my handlebars back and, and this person saw the accident. What had happened is a car had turned in front of me and I'd run into their passenger side rear door. 
and uh, the bike had come up and my helmet had hit the back of their roof and, uh, you know, but the helmet, handlebars back here at right angles and any motorbike rider knows that's not too bad. The forks were all the way down, didn't bend anything except the bars and a bit of my pride. And, and a person came running out of the shop on the corner store, said, I saw it, I saw it, that person cut you off, that person cut you off. And already every one of you think that's possibly the case, especially if you're a motorbike rider. The truth was, there's a set of traffic lights, right-hand turning, two straight ahead with one turning left as well. And it was red. When I'm a typical motor, I'm coming out on the motorbike and the light just turns green and I'm just a distance away. And I thought, you know, I can sneak up the inside and pass all these cars before they realise I'm here. The person in the front row of where I was going had stalled. They finally got their car started, but they were turning left. So I was the one driving up a parking lane into the side of a car that was doing a turn. But this person had run out and their perception was that car cut me off. Well, it did, but I was doing the wrong thing. Um, so you've got to hear both sides of the story. And, and that, that's the trouble with our culture. We have this, this thought that what we believe is based on our thinking in our heart. And if our heart is tainted by a a one-sided perspective, a biased perspective, which we all have some, if you're not willing to admit that, you're in trouble already. We all have a biased perspective. So as he thinks in his heart, Proverbs says, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. And Jesus often confronted people with questions like, what do you think? Or don't say in your own heart. Don't think like that. So Jesus challenged the thinking of our hearts he said, you know, it's, it's not the, the feelings that give us the right answer. So we have this challenge of conflict. We have the second lie, which is the emotional response to the challenge of conflict. We don't like it because our emotions get involved. But then the danger is we get so emotional, our emotions run all our decision making. The second lie is emotional only reasoning. Your emotions tell you all sorts of lies. And we want to balance that with you know, what is the truth? How do I see the truth? How do I challenge my thinking? And my, if the only thing I have is my feelings, then I'm in trouble. I want evidence. I want good truth for the basis of my understanding. Our world says, if you say something and I feel hurt, then you've tried to hurt me. And I go, well, that's not true. That's not hate speech when I say something that's true that you disagree with. It's just speech. And so we have this conflict, you know, we don't want con- this challenge in our world. They say we don't want conflict because that's bad. We say we, we, emotional reasoning is right. Well, that's not true. And then we have this, this conflict mindset that is the, us versus them. And, and if we live in a world of fear, then it will be us versus them. We will have this, this hunker down or this shoot mentality, this fight or flight. Instead of let's, let's come now and do what God says. Come now, let's reason together. And see what God says. Let's bring this discussion back to the truth of God's word. And you know, in life, there are plenty of clear cut decisions between right and wrong. But you know what? The more we live in life, the harder that gets. And more and more, we find that they're not so clear cut. We have, it's not so much black and white. We talked about the old Western movies where the goodies wear the white hats, and the baddies wore the black hats. Trouble is, good people aren't always that good, and bad people aren't always that bad. That's the challenge for us now. It's not us versus them. As Christians, it should be really clearly us for them. We are here to bring them the hope of the gospel. 
We are here for them. Jesus came for us and he's left us here for the others. Not against them, not us versus them, but us for them. Remember, all their sins have already been dealt with on the cross by Jesus. So when we look at people, oh, they're wicked, hang on, you were too and so was I. And that's been dealt with at the cross. Now people just need to know how to walk and live free. They need to know Jesus for that. And our point is that we should be for them, not versing them. Peter tells us it's a tough journey to live this journey. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say it's right or wrong so much as we're on a journey and please just be heading in the correct direction. Please be growing in your faith, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Instead of fighting people, add to your faith. Grow up in perseverance. Grow up in brotherly love. Grow up in the endurance of life. Grow up in all these things. The Bible says, Peter says, if you do all these things and they abound, you'll have an abundant entrance into heaven. Well, that's probably more important than me winning a battle over someone on earth. Because the Bible is clear. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Paul says in Philippians, I haven't attained it there yet. We talked about this in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. We are not perfect. So don't expect yourself to be perfect. Don't expect the church to be perfect. Don't expect the world to be perfect. And don't judge one another on on a perception of what we think perfect should be. Every person's going to have some good and some bad. Every person, every church is going to have some good and some bad. Some bad will be so bad it's a problem. Other bad is just stuff. They're on a learning journey yet to come to know. You know, people go, that church or that church. Well, there are hardly any major teachings that would cause us a problem with the vast majority of churches. There are some, if Jesus is not God, eternal, Son of God is just a a reference to his life on earth, but he was the word of God that became flesh. He was pre-existent and will live on forever. So there's no beginning and no end. If Jesus isn't God, we don't have a mindset of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't even understand that man by nature is a sinner and a sinner can only be made right with God by faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. So faith in Jesus makes a sinful man right with God. If that's our core value, then we've got the core things right. If Jesus isn't God, we have a serious problem. But outside of things like that, people make big issues about this church or that church or this church is, you know, it's too traditional or it's too contemporary or this church doesn't have flowers and this one does or this one has new music and this one doesn't. That's, sorry. Some of the carry-on that we want to be perfect in, as if the person making the judgment is perfect, about the others they think are imperfect. Well, they've got a problem. Please look in a mirror. I do. It scares me. (laughs) That bloke in the mirror, here's my biggest challenge. See, it's not about us and them and how far from perfect they are or even how far from perfect we are. We're not going to be perfect till we see Jesus. And we're in a spiritual battle. It says it in Ephesians 6.12, and I've mentioned it, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Covered that all last week. So let's see where we go from here. What do we need to do in our lives about these lies in our world and in our life? You can focus on trying to defeat the negative. Has anyone ever been in a dark room, tried to punch the dark out? Push it out of the room? You know, the way, the way you defeat it, it's like I, I remember years ago when I first got saved, I tried to quit smoking. People say, you've got to quit smoking, religious people. Got to quit smoking. So every day I'm going, you've got to quit smoking, 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 smoking. I feel like smoke. See, when you focus on the negative, it's the thing that attracts you to it. And we can focus so powerfully against something that it traps us. Where the way to get free from those things is to focus on living right, living positive, putting the things that God has called into our life. You know, I want to defeat the negative, not by fighting it, but by living the light. Turn the light on in your life and the darkness will flee. We live in a world that is bombarded with negative information and we need to have a diligence, like Peter says, in the right practices. Add to your faith. Don't fight the negative. Add to your faith. The goodness, the kindness, the brotherly love. Add to your faith instead of the negative. See, Look, this, this is not a short-term or even a long-term battle. This is a whole-of-life battle that we are in. You want to come to Jesus, you will face battle your whole life. There will be easier times, the still waters and the green pastures, but the purpose of still waters and green pastures is just to refresh you and nourish you so you can go through the valley of the shadow of death. Who likes going through the valley? Who likes the mountaintops? When I was young, we, we went mountain climbing. Or first as a Christian, we went mountain climbing at Mount Buffalo, Victoria. And, and we climbed up this called the cathedral, which is a big monolith structure and in the middle of, of the, the plateau. And when we got on top, there, like, it was hard getting up. I don't know if you ever climbed that type of granite, but, but if you don't have gloves, your skin is peeled off your hands and there's blood all over you. But when you get to the top, it's like, I've got to undo it. Yeah, we're all praising God, we made it. And then we realised there was no way down. So, <laughs> and so we, we did one of those French movies where you jump 30 feet from ledge to ledge until you get down to the bottom, uh, which was like a little bit scary, uh, just to say the least. But, you know, there's... It's a whole of life matter that will take challenges. And it's this battle that we will face with struggles. Paul tells the Corinthians in the NASB in 1 Corinthians 13, sorry, 2 Corinthians 13, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Now, straight away, when I read the first part, we are all thinking about looking for negatives, weren't we? Come on, let's be honest. Was there anyone here thinking about the positive when I said examine yourselves? I mean, come on, we think of an exam as something to find out how many you get wrong. Is that not true? But for those people who get 99%, they should be thinking, yeah, how many can I get right? Because the trouble is they will major on the one they get wrong. I should have got that one. You got 99 out of 100. Everyone else got 62 or less. Examine yourselves and he challenges us. Don't you recognise this about yourself? That Jesus Christ is in you. 
Should we not be looking for Christ being formed in us? Should that not be the focus of our life? Instead of the negative, focus on the formation of the character of Christ by his spirit in our lives. That's how we overcome the lives. I love Peter. He goes on. Now we pray, verse 7, to God that you do no wrong, so we shouldn't do the wrong, not that we ourselves, listen, may appear approved. Isn't that funny? The world wants a life of appearances. You know, you, you want to look like you're doing the right thing. That's why people give money to some charities in a public mindset. That, you know, we want to look good. And then Paul goes on, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. In other words, do the right thing, whether it looks good or not. Do the right thing, whether it looks good or not. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. See, part of living faith and overcoming the negative is learning to live in the truth, free from the bondages that untruth brings upon our life and the life of others. And I want to ask the question, do we, live, want, do we want to live in the truth? Is, you, know, you don't need to answer me. I mean, I'll release you from responding. Do we really want to live in the truth? Are we passionate about it? And are we willing to persevere because the, the journey is constantly challenging? Sometimes it might even seem like there is no rest but there will be. Is it meaningful to us? Or are we just happy drifting along with our Christian faith? Listen, are we passionate about our faith and is it meaningful to us? Or are we just drifting along from Sunday to Sunday with an occasional thought about God? We want to look like we're pretty good, so we'll turn up at church and there's this appearance, but our, our focus is not a life pleasing to God. It's just a life that looks like it's pleasing to God. Angela Duckworth made a comment. She said, I think that passion is at least important. I mean, if you're really, really tenacious and dogged about a goal that's not meaningful to you and not interesting to you, then that's just drudgery. Well, I actually think some Christians live like that. They're living because they just don't want to go to hell. I'm going to keep God's rules and live in a way that hopefully will please God and maybe one day I'll make it to heaven. I just, I just want, to, I want to have fire insurance instead of life assurance. I want to make sure that I don't miss out. Oh, you know, hang on, if your faith isn't passionate, then what is it? It's, it's about a marriage. I'm hopefully that when a couple walk up the aisle to get married, they're at least a little bit passionate about that happening. You're pretty quiet. I mean, when you got married, did you walk up the aisle or wait for your bride here going, suppose you'll get here sometime, we'll get married, be right. How many of you thought like I mean, if you thought, please don't respond if you thought like that. <laughs> Mate, I stood in front of a building and, and, and I looked down the aisle and my wife was there. <laughs> you know, I'm getting married. You know, and some other people are standing at the side singing the Skyhook song. Oh, my friends, they're getting married. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, come on. The, what is our faith? If it's just, if it's not passionate, it's it got to be a passion. It's got to be a heart. It's got to be something where, God, I want you with all my life, with everything that's in me. You're the most important aspect of my being. 
If you're not convinced it's important, then you won't be willing to face the challenges that it brings up. Your Christian faith will be boring and a drudgery. And you know what? The world sometimes thinks that. They go, ah, church, boring, irrelevant, untrue. And the reason they think that is some Christians live in such a way that it becomes just a religious ritual, the habits that we do without any passion to it. Your giving of your finance, of your time, of your talents ought to be done with passion. God, here it is. Here's the best I can do. Here's all I've got and it's yours. I love you so much, whatever. All that I have, I give to you. With a passion of a relationship that will grow and grow in the days ahead. I know it will have its challenges. And you know, the best part of having a challenge in a marriage is the making up. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I was wrong. Men, let's try it. Ready? Repeat after me. I'm sorry, sweetheart. You bunch of cowards. Come on. Let's try it. Married man. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I was wrong. You sound like Fonzie. You sound like Fonzie. Let's, one more chance, guys. Look, I'm going to pick on the girls next. But if you don't lead by example, don't expect them to follow. Let me say that again. Guys, if you don't lead by example, don't expect them to follow. Jesus is the bridegroom. I love you this much. He led by example. Okay, guys, let's try it again. You, don't say it with me, say it after me. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I was wrong. wrong. Wonderful. Okay. Girls. Thank you, darling. I might have been wrong too. Just healed so many marriages right there. Now let's move on. He's never wrong. Say, God, I'm sorry I was wrong. God, I'm sorry I didn't listen. God, I'm sorry I didn't hear both sides of the story before I made up my mind. God, I'm sorry I tried. Help me live for you. God, I want to know more of you. Let me get into your word and see the truth of your word. I came across this article and, and, and it's, it's a good article because Jesus talks about it. In fact, I should start with the text, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight, so that we know that this is not any racial thing. Jesus says, come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, some people get offended. Jesus called you an ox. And so I thought about this because this is a picture of Jesus. He's using to show us how we are yoked with him, yoked with a dual yoke together in a task. The task of reaching the world and preparing hearts 
for the seed of God's word to be planted in people's lives. And so this article is amazing. And as I read it, let, let's substitute when he talks about the owner, the man or the man, you know, men um, for God. And when it talks about the ox, put yourself in there. I know it's going to be hard for some of you. It, it, it's called humility. You know. One, the owner and oxen must get used to each other. I don't know, great. Let's get used to being with God. Let's get to know him. Let's get used to his hand. Let's get used to his voice. <coughs> right. And before beginning to train the auction, you must get them used to being with me, which is about getting to know God. It says, put the animals in a, in a pasture, uh, in a modern pasture that is itself enough to make the animals used to the presence of men. So in other words, putting the animals in the pasture, he's leading them to pasture, leading them out, leading them into pasture, gets them used. So when God leads us, we get used to God, get used to God leading our lives and walking us. So that, that's part of getting used to it. And that's got to do with not only God, but it's about fellowship with the people of God. Coming to church gets you used to the presence of God. You may not be aware it's God's presence in the house. You're just aware of something. This is, oh, this is wonderful. People are singing. Some people seem to be really getting into it. And you become accustomed and getting used to fellowship with God and others. He says this, if a man looks after his oxen well, they become quieter. Wow. So peace rules in their life. Well, maybe that's the character growth of the fruit of the Spirit. The men and animals must become friends, not just get to know each other. They must become friends. You know what your dog's like? He comes home and he's waiting at the front door when you come home. His tail is wagging so hard his head moves. You know, and the dogs at cats, they don't care. They say, meow, feed me. You know, but dog, dogs are a much better example of the character of Christ than people. But here's this, this animal and it gets to not only to know but become friends. And the Bible calls us friends of God. There's an intimacy that develops. This all happens before you start the work. This all happens before the labour starts. And this is growing in our faith. This is how we, we honour God, is build a relationship with Him. And then once there's a friendship, then we trust, teach the oxen to wear the yoke. So we trust God to put a yoke on us. If you've ever watched them break in horses, you know, they get them used to the rag, the blanket first, and, and the bridle and the lead, and, and slowly they finally get the saddle on because they get used to them. And there's this trust that's developed, and we trust that the, that the owner, the master, will help us, and what he's doing won't harm us. And then two days before the beginning of the official training, well, I mean, all, all he's done so far is put a yoke on. You haven't even started the official training. You build the relationship and get used to wearing the yoke. And then they tie the oxen to a tree for a period of time. Who likes being tied up and restricted? Come on. Who likes? No, you can't do this. You can't do that. Well, they tie them up so they get used to being hitched to something. And somewhere along the track, that's what commitment to a family of God and a church is about. We come into a church and, and then what happens is we seem to be tied in. It teaches us patience, teaches submission, that God has timing and his will for us. And then to get young oxen used to the yoke, they would put a trained oxen next to it with it. And this is what Jesus is talking about. 
You have the trained oxen and us. Yoked together with Jesus, joined with him. And then they would, to prevent the untrained one from moving too much, they would tie a rope to the foreleg and loop it around the animal's back so he couldn't run too fast. How many Christians, when they get saved, just want to do everything now? They they head off to a YWAM course. They're going to do everything for Jesus. They come back and they struggle to fit back into a local church because they've been running so long, they don't know how to walk. You run so much, it's like little kids. You know, they're starting to walk, they get the walking, then they just run everywhere. They run into things, they trip over. No, no, just rein them in a little bit. Rein them in a little bit. And then the fifth day, you've got to get them to walk in a straight line. <laughs> oh, get their focus right. Help them get their eyes on Jesus. You walk better, you walk straighter if you have a singular focal point. I mean, you walk in the desert, you will walk in circles if you don't have focal points to walk from and to. So you've got to have this. What am I focusing on? I'm looking under Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, and I'm walking toward him. That's how I overcome lies. That's how I am willing to receive correction. That's how I, I want to hear things so that I keep my focus on Jesus. Then it says, don't hit them. Well, God's not like that. God's not going to beat us. God allows us free will. But whatever he calls you to, hard as it might be, is wonderful and in the long run. God is merciful and gracious to us. When the animals used to wearing the yoke and walking side by side, then start to work them lightly. And it talks about going through progressions of different activities, light ones, slightly heavier, and keep working them until they're used to wearing the yoke and doing some heavier work and walking straight and obeying commands, hearing, hearing the master's voice and obedience because obedience is better than sacrifice. Look, I plowed a whole field the wrong way. You know, no, obedience is better. The driver's voice, it says, should be the chief means of directing the oxen. Well, we want to hear his voice, church. You do the same things over and over and over again. Ever thought about that? If you've ever seen a ploughed field that's been ploughed by hand or rotary hoed by hand. I remember as a kid we had a, a rotary hoe. It's called a Howard Rotovator. Anyone used a Howard Rotovator? Big single cylinder thing. You crank and crank and crank till it finally kicks in like an old BSA motor. And you'd be run along and, and the motor's way up front and things about a mile long and they're churning here with the hose. You put them in, you drop its depth and you're going along and, and it hits something and it'll throw you up in the air and you have to hang on, otherwise you'd be thrown over. Um, got these steel wheels that dig in and you're ploughing along and then you look back and you see this line like this <laughs> and it took practice to get the line straight. It took practice to do it well. And the only way for oxen is the oxen to obey the directions given to us. And the oxen would be called by name. Listen, called by name. The best drivers would call each oxen by name in the team. You know, a bit like Sander and his sleigh, you know. <laughs> it's not true. Um, after 10 days, harness the plough and, and, and a variety of activities, they would become used to all kinds of work. And here's something I really thought was interesting. The animals 
must do some work, even if it's just transport, outside the main farming season. They must not lose the habit of work. Whoa. Well, I don't know if you've got that in this, in this season. We've had COVID. We had heaps of weeks where people lost the habit of coming to church. They lost the habit of week by week by week by week. And so what happens if we get out of the habit of walking in the straight line week by week? We start to wander. We start to get fed by online teaching. We get start to be fed by strange feeders who don't carry the same heart as the shepherd does. Don't carry, we have sort of strange food and we wander. And you know what? Some people around the world have struggled to even get back into fellowship, which the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What's happened is, is they've got out of the habit of work. My challenge, if you're watching online, get back into fellowship. I mean, I look around today, heaps of you, your place is packed. You know, we could fit a few more, but not lots. But you know what? Let's get into the habit of regular, weekly. Oh, it's raining and not going. It's cold. I'm not going. What? If you want a harvest, you've got to be out there. If you want fruit to produce from the seed that's on, you need to nurture it. Don't lose the habit of work. Maybe you've volunteered in the church and you've taken a back seat. You've got out of the habit. The only way to break the habit is to break it. Start doing work again. It's essential that we do that. So how do we do that? How do we maintain the habit of work? How do leaders help people maintain the habit of work? How do we help each other? And it's essentially the same for every one of us. One is an outside influence upon our lives. The other is the self-talk of our life. So let me give you a few hints as the musicians and singers come. Learn to praise yourself and to praise others. We live in such a critical world. But make sure the praise is for the right sorts of things. Make the praise for good effort, wise strategies, progress, hard work, persistence, rising to a challenge, learning from a mistake, which you can't do if you don't have them, which is don't face a conflict, don't learn from mistakes. So here's this challenge. Let others encourage you in these things and encourage yourself so often we criticise and demean ourselves, we, we, we run ourselves down, we beat ourselves up. Encourage yourself. My, my daughter, Michelle, asked me, she was writing up a, a couple of um, advice for new mothers. What would you say, Dad, she says? What, what would be something I could write down to give the girls an idea? And I just said, be kind to yourself in the journey. She said, That's really smart, Dad. Go figure. A man can give a woman advice on how to be a good mother. Be kind. It's tough. One, tough. Two, tougher. Three, tougher. Four, tougher. Five, tougher. Six, tougher. Seven, starts to get easier. That's because number one looks after number seven. I mean, (laughs) whatever. Be kind to yourself. You know, it's challenging to be a mum. 
It's challenging to be a dad who doesn't know how to handle a mum, who doesn't know how to handle her own life when there's all these challenges. He needs to be praising her for these things. You know, there's nothing wrong with self-satisfaction and a job well done. Read, listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Paul said, hey, look, I've done a good job. I've done my best. I've done a good job. Paul made mistakes. Come on, Paul's not perfect. He and Barnabas had a fight so bad they couldn't work together. And Barnabas was supposed to be the leader because the prayer, when they prayed, it said separate Barnabas and Saul, not Saul and Barnabas. Paul had a blue with the leader and wasn't going to go on a journey when the leader's nephew was going to come. I'm sorry, Paul, I disagree with you. And later on, you actually acknowledge that you made a mistake because you said, you know, John Mark's good for ministry. Please send him to me. Yes, he's better now because Barnabas trained him. But Barnabas was trying to train him on the journey. I could be wrong. Barnabas might have been wrong, but not from where I read the Scripture. Paul often speaks to his trainees, praising them. Timothy, you're doing a great job. Titus, that's smart. You did the right thing. Philemon, come on, you're doing okay. Here's some extra advice. We want to make sure we get the the praise for the right stuff, not the wrong stuff. Don't praise just because of natural talents. Don't praise someone just because they're naturally smart if they're not doing anything with it. Don't praise people because they're born gifted. You know, we, we, we tend to lift up these heroes in, in footy and things like that. You know, the, the thing they should be praised for is the effort they made to get to the level they were, but they started with a gift above some others. Don't praise them for fixed abilities. Don't praise them for not making any mistakes because that's not how you grow. Jesus gives heaps of parables where people do the wrong thing and they get rebuked. The servants who did nothing with the talent they were given were rebuked. They weren't going to make a mistake. So I hit it, God. And here it is, what you gave me back. That's the biggest mistake is trying not to make mistakes. Some of you have heard me say it. My goal in life is to make new mistakes. I don't want to make the same one twice. Learn powerful thoughts like, not yet. Not no, not yet. No, it's not no, it's just you can't do it yet. You don't know yet. If you learn and practice, you might. I have to accept sometimes that there's a not yet in my life. But if I'm going to have it, have it where it might be, then I need to go through the journey of diligence and effort and mistakes and challenging myself. Be mindful of how you think. Be mindful of how you speak to yourself. The messages you send, they can, they can build you up and encourage you or they can destroy you. Are you encouraging yourself or running yourself down? King David finds himself in a situation where he'd let the homeland, left the homeland unprotected while he took his men off to war. He made a serious mistake. Enemies came while he was away, captured his men, his men's family and their property and his own wife and their children. And, and the men had a right to be angry. 
But you know, revenge never solved the problem. In 1 Samuel 36, David was greatly distressed. The speaker spoke, people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. If you know the story, he seeks God's advice and God gives him direction and follows and catches up with them and recovers everything. See, David didn't complain about his circumstances, didn't complain about his mistake or his failure. He said, God, what do I do? And he learned from it. So let me ask you a couple of closing questions today. And maybe you could consider asking them regularly to yourself to help you grow. Ask yourself, what did you do today that made you really think? Was it just a day that you went through? What did you do that made you really think? What new strategies did you attempt to try? What mistakes did you make that you learned through? And if you didn't make any, maybe you need to be doing something to make some mistakes. What did you try that challenged you? See, if I'm gonna overcome the lies, then I need to press toward the truth. And the truth involves failures and mistakes. It's a learning process and handle well. Failures and mistakes equals learning and growing. Next week, I wanna talk about dreaming that honours God. Listen, dreaming's a good thing, daydreaming. But do something. Do something for God that develops truth in you, that develops a passion for the truth and a passion for the King. And don't get caught up with the lies. Learn the truth. Let me ask a final question. Are you ready for eternal life? When the master asks, what did you do with what I gave you? Listen, he's not looking for, yeah, I did everything you asked. No, just have a go. And maybe you don't know Jesus today and you are nowhere near ready for eternity. You know, God says He loves you. God says He has a plan and He's got truth for you, truth that will set you free. The truth is that Jesus died on a cross for us all and none of us are any better than the other person. It was still the blood of Jesus that shed, it was shed that takes away the sin of the world and we received it. That's the only difference. And today you can be ready for eternity by receiving Jesus Christ and what He's done for you. That could be a challenge. A dying to self. Peter Pan says it well. Dying, that would be such an adventure. Dying to self should be an adventure, church. Should be such an adventure. Should be full of challenges and, and, and victories and even failures and mistakes, but overcoming in the end because whatever happens, He will work it for good in the end. If you're not right today for eternity, I'm gonna ask you, would you give your life to Jesus today? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, there are so many lies in this world and your call to us is to live the truth. Your call is that, that there is a, the things that we need to press toward. There are people that, we, that need to lay off things and, and just look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Lord, we need to stir up the passion of our heart for the things of God. Lord, I'm including myself in this. There are things we need to do to stir it up, the gifts that are within us. Lord, to, to not become so complacent, we, we put away the, the work we need to be involved in the work. But today there are people who might today in this place need to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. It's a challenging journey. There is a price. Jesus says, it's free, but it'll cost you your life. But I will give you eternal life. That's a great deal. It's, it's comparatively free. An eternity with God. Do you want your sins washed away? You want to be cleansed from guilt and shame. That's a decision that can happen instantly and a journey we need to walk through to learn. But today I ask you right now in this place, if you're not ready for eternity and you want to be ready today by accepting Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand where you are in this place? Father, I pray right now across the church, we would not get caught up fighting the lies. We'd identify them, but we would fight for the truth. Each one of us would stir ourselves up in our most holy faith. Each one of us would make decisions in life that would move us to a greater passion for the things of God. Lord, as we turn the light on in our life day by day, willing to hear, willing to learn, willing to acknowledge at times we've had wrong thoughts and wrong impressions. We've made bad decisions because we've only heard one side of His story. Lord, we are not perfect. We are far from it. But for each one of us today, I pray that there would be a sense of Your presence and Your power, a sense of Your divine appointment, that You have something good in store for all of us, individually and corporately. Lord, that we would stir ourselves up and find there is a great joy and a great sense of destiny and purpose and passion in the things of God. It's about rescuing people from Christless eternity. It's about sharing good news with the hurting and the broken. It's about seeing captives set free, people delivered from the hand of the enemy. Lord, there are so many things that are so positive and passionate about this call. Let us yoke together with Jesus. Let us learn to walk the walk of life, to plough the hearts of men's lives that the seed of God would be sown and there would be fruit when people might come to salvation. People might be healed. People might be set free. People might find hope in hopeless situations because of their faith in You. Lord, the passion of our lives would grow as we press toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is no greater destiny. There is no greater passion for our lives. But to present them to You as a living sacrifice, which is the best thing we can do. Lord, have Your way today in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' Name.